Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Hub88, a lightweight integration platform built on Exilir, offering seamless wallet API for casino operations. It currently interacts with over 50 providers and 2,000 plus games, giving access to many tier one suppliers while also supporting new studios, distribution, and key components such as game engines, provably fair RNGs, RGs, and investments into new startups. To find out more, visit hub88.io. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Jesper Scherbrink. Hi, and welcome to another iGaming Next podcast. My name is Jesper Scherbrink, and I have the great pleasure of having Henrik Schernström with me here today. Henrik is the CEO of Kindred. Welcome, Henrik. Thank you very much, Jesper. Uh, it's a pleasure having you here. And, and we should start with our surnames because we are both Swedish. And mine is pronounced Scherbrink, and yours is pronounced Schernström. In English, what, what, what do you prefer to do? What are they saying? Yeah, they're saying all sorts of things. And especially if you come to a meeting and they try to type it in after you said something, it's, it's never <laughs> correct. But Schernström is probably the closest we get. Ah, that's good. Uh, my, mine becomes as Carbrink. And I had this fantastic experience with in an Indian hotel, like, 15 years ago, and he couldn't get my last name. I mean, he couldn't even start pronouncing it, and it became a bit awkward for him. But I called, I thought, it's okay, whatever you say. But that's yeah, good. Okay. Uh, we have too many uh, dots of our vocals. That's the problem here. Uh, but in this, today, we're going to be Shadowbrink and Shadowstrom if we need to use our surnames. Uh, that's good. And, Henrik, I, 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 I know uh, that. All successful CEOs uh, are, and rightly so, are downplaying their roles when it comes to the, the development and the success of the company. And, and, uh, but at the same time, it's very interesting to, to know who, who the person is to, that is on, on top of, of the ship, so, so to speak. So could we start with just a short, brief summary of who is Henrik Schernström? Yeah, no, as you say, I, I'm... Um very fortunate to be surrounded with so many good people. And I think that's been a benefit for us at Kindred throughout our history that, that we have have the pleasure of having sort of the best people around and, and working together, we have been able to create what we, what we have done over the years. And I think that's something I just want to start with. But for me, it's, um, I come from a Swedish background, as you say, I've uh, uh, worked 
both in construction company and uh, with Skanska, the, the big Swedish one, but uh, both in, in Sweden, but also internationally in London and in the UK. And that's actually when I was working for, for Skanska in the UK in 2003 that I got in contact with what is Kindred today or Unibet back then. Uh, I also know Anders, the founder of, of Unibet back in the day. So we, we know each other and, and we're best friends. So that's uh, also part of the story. But the, uh, when I joined the board back in 2003, it was uh, as a non-executive director when I was working for, for Skanska in project finance. And, and that was an important part for the, for the company at that time was, was relatively small, 30, 40 people and, and pre-IPO and everything. So it was in its infancy in, in many ways, albeit that it was three years into to its existence. And uh, then I was a non-executive director between 2003 and 2008 when I was... Uh, sort of asked to step in on a temporary basis uh, on the CFO position in the company, working then together with Petter Nylander as was CEO back then. And, uh, and then uh, when Petter uh, wanted to move back to Sweden after five years within the company, I was sort of asked by the board if I wanted to take over uh, in, in the company and, and become the CEO. And, and that uh, was, of course, a an extreme challenge, but also something I was really keen on taking on and, and, and trying and seeing. And I've, having worked two, two and a half years together with Petter very closely and with a very good corporation, it was, I felt that I had a, a good opportunity. But we were for sure facing some challenges back then. But uh, we have been successful by having a good team, as I said. And, uh, and we're here yeah, we are today. Have, yeah, in, indeed, you have it. And, and I don't think anyone regrets that the, the move you made there. But at the same time, it's, it's quite a move from construction to gaming. It's, it's one of the, the, the furthest I've heard about. But this, this also shows that, that leadership is, is much, much more than, than knowing the industry. It's, it's, as you say, it's building good teams and, and, and good people. It, so basically, you could come from any industry, couldn't you, and, and go to another industry? I think so. It, it's, uh, of course, you have to be sort of interested in the products and gambling has, has been close to me for, for, yeah, throughout in a sense. So it's nothing new in that sense. And I was, uh, but clearly, I think what, what, what is applicable from what I worked with within Skanska was kind of really big projects and stuff. And as you know, from your, your work life as well, Jesper, it's a lot about businesses, about projects and managing and uh, sort of working together and it's together we create results and I think that that kind of knowledge and experience has been very valuable in in also in in Unibet and Kindred. I agree I agree to 100% but I think you said something very important there you have to love the product and and this is where I I never applied for a job as as uh, in a leadership job for an insurance company or something like that because there's no there's no fun in it or it might be but I can't find it but you're right you have to love the product and if you love the product you could basically Jump, jump into any industry as be, being a leader. But this, it's this, it's the love that comes through. And, and I will come back to that. Uh, but first, the Kindred story. For me, it started when I was at Svenska Spel and Kindred and, and, and Petter was the kind of one of the enemies that I was fighting every day. And, and uh, it also, that fight changed and, and, and turned the, 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 the Swedish gambling market. It took 10 years, but, but still, that was the start of the uh, deregulation process and so forth. Uh, at that time, Unibet for me was a bit of a bad guy. <laughs> but at the same time, I had a lot of respect for you. And, 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 and since then, you've grown 
to become a role model, actually, for a lot of iGaming companies. You are uh, in the forefront of, of responsible gaming and other things. Could you just comment on that transition? It, it, in your opinion, it might have not been a transition, but in my view, it's been a very, very strong transition from being one of the early kind of bad guys, if I call it that, to being what you are today, a, a, a very uh, um, well-reputated iGaming company. No, no. Back then, uh, when you sort of joined the uh, Svenska Spel as well, and I was m more closely involved in, in Kindred than or Unibet as a CFO, and uh, we were also a bit, I would say, intimidated by what you did back then as well in Svenska Spel by, by changing things in its foundation in a sense and approaching things in a different way. And I was guess creating some unpredictability and I guess that's what you kind of perhaps saw in in Unibet at the time as well that it was what is this what is going to take shape in and and how does it going to how is it going to develop in a sense and I think for, for us that's uh, it's always been about about in our DNA that it's about sort of challenging the status quo and and really looking at what what kind of new technology is, is delivering as an opportunity for for approaching things in a different way and be able mm -hmm. to offer a customer a better experience mm -hmm. of course as you were back then in Svenska Spel where you were restricted by the regulations that you had to operate within and we had a more freedom to operate from a dot com uh, with be able to offer better prices uh, and 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 more appealing product for the for the customers and of course that is a a, a big starting point benefit for for us that we had back then. But we we always had the customer at at, at heart and and that's really what we have and also challenging the legacy structures in society and I think that goes for more businesses sectors than just gambling in a sense you you see that today with digitalization that is sort of spreading across society and. Uh, it, it is giving uh, customers a, a completely new way of approaching things and also companies of course as well and and that's what we have always tried to to utilize that thinking what what can we do in the, in the kind of best interest for the customer how can we change things and and also challenge the legacy structures and as you say that's where we came from back then with uh, sort of innovation in technology and and all those uh, good stuff and and sort of challenge what uh, what we're doing but i think it's as you say things have changed a lot over those last uh, 10 12 years as well now it is more of a closer cooperation between it's more about the operators who want to take responsibility and, and be within the system together and creating a the best possible system for uh, sort of giving the customers no reason to be outside that system but i think it's a big step that we have done now for example i was part of the svenska spiel seminar the other week as well, together with Patrick Hofbauer, and 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 we share very common views when it comes to responsible gambling and player safety and all those things. So, I think it 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 started with that more challenger mentality, and I think that's what it had to be back then to really trying to get the sort of uh, attention and also to be able to to sort of get our message through but gradually over the years and especially since 2010-11 we have been focusing a lot about going for locally regulated licenses and and work from within the system together with the former incumbents and it's actually nowadays it's the former incumbents and us are together against what is the black market today mm -hmm. and that will always be there and it's only one click away for the customers and that's our biggest challenge and but there we we have come far as between operators, but uh, also with, to some extent with regulators, but the politicians, it's still a bit of an 
an unknown quantity and that that we need to constantly sort of educate on on the topic yes no i we're coming back to the to, to both these topics both the regulation and and the responsible gambling uh, but but you it, it's so clear that that you have kind of moved into this direction where you are part of the establishment so to speak and and really wanted to be on the inside of the regulated market and and for me that's impressive because you're not really started like that in my opinion but but you're mm -hmm. now so, so that's really cool but another thing i want to connect back to is, is the culture because it's always been by the player for the player and it seems that you're kind of keeping that within the company even though you are so much bigger today you have so many more brands today you're in so many more markets today but it's still it feels like you kept the core of the culture in the company and and also meeting people from from working at kinder they're always happy with with, with working with kinder and and even more so and perhaps not surprising but even more impressive is that people that left kindred and, and started going elsewhere also very positive of the time you you don't really find any people bad mouthing the the, the former employer and and and, and that's mm -hmm. interesting and and what's the recipe for this you kept it like a I, I shouldn't say a family but still it's a very strong kindred or unibet kindred feeling in the company or or around the company yeah no that's that's something we worked of course very hard to to try to keep and uh, and and in some ways it's uh, it comes by itself in a sense i think with with uh, who we are and, and what we have become in a sense and uh, as you know with the we started with unibet and as you say that by players for players has been the tagline for the unibet brand since uh, very early i would say probably 2003 or something like that and uh, and and that's been something that we have sort of challenged from time to time and see if we would change that but we've sort of reverted back to that for the unibet brand that it is still very important and it's it still adds a lot of value in a sense also from a trust and loyalty from the customer's point of view so for the unibet brand sort of by players for players has remained uh, albeit that it's sort of changed to some extent but uh, for the other brands of course we we have different identities as well but for the group we did a big work throughout the sort of 2015-16 when we rebranded the holding company to kindred and uh, and that that has been sort of important to carry those kind of legacy sort of uh, cultures and 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 behaviors into kindred and as you know one of one of the the core values we have at kindred is sort of we believe in friendship and and uh, we build on trust and we dare to challenge and we, we seek to innovate and we're individuals united those are kind of the core principles that we work with and we did a a very extensive work there in in 16 to trying to embed those and even though we as you say we have quite a lot of new people coming into the organization it's um we've been we've been successful in keeping that culture and and it's also I think good that we've been able to show that if you come from underneath in the company you can go all the way up to the top as well like in a sense i came from a little bit of a, a different background and uh, we have other executive team members like Britt Boskov, who was a trainee at the, in the company starting in 2004 and, and has been part of the exec team since yeah, 2006 or seven or so. So it's, uh, it is, we want to create that sort of as flat cult, uh, structure as possible and, and, and uh, with the minimal sort of internal politics and, uh, and nonsense, but working sort of with the customer in focus and working together as a team and really knowing that it's together we can achieve those things. 
Fantastic. I think we got the, the summary of a management book here in, in, in 15 seconds. <laughs> That's the essence of, of a good leadership in, in my book. And, and uh, uh, that, that change from the, the, the branding changing from Unibet to Kinder, it was, you had to do it because you were growing so big and, and having all these brands and companies. But how difficult was it? From, from the scale to, to from one to ten. I mean, operational, doing all this and getting this, the people. And how, how scared was you that this was the wrong move? Or, or sorry, this was not the wrong move, but how scared were you that you wouldn't execute good enough to, to kind of lo lost opportunity? Mm, no, change is always a challenge, but I think it's also a great opportunity in a sense. We we were perhaps on from the outside in, we were, we were kind of living in in sort of a, in in the perfect uh, harmony and, and everything but as you say when we decided to go more from a single brand that historically was unibet uh, by buying maria bingo as it was called back in 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 2007 sort of started that sort of multi-brand journey for us and by being going from single to dual and and then when we added more brands onto that it became a, a challenge internally to to people who were working uh, in other brands than Unibet that we were when we were talking publicly we were saying Unibet and we meant the Unibet group but people could feel internally that we were focusing on the Unibet brand so for us it was a natural ev evolution in a sense that we decided to to change the the name of the the holding company and where everyone is employed and and then we have customer facing brands underneath that so we created a a, a holding company for gambling related assets and 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 it was a lot of hard work but it was worth it and it's been a, a big uh, part of, of our success since then i can say that that we have a uh, sort of the employment company and the the, the sort of the the uh, the corporate identities is sort of kindred and then we have the customer facing brands that are underneath that and it's 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 been good for us it's also interesting to see that some of our competitors have sort of copied across and uh, done exactly the same journey so it seems like we have done something right yeah, exactly they, they wouldn't have done it perhaps if you failed but but you did and, then, and that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but these things are difficult and I'm, I'm i know i'm impressed you you you, you put it through and it's it's a large company as well, so so these things are difficult. There's a lot of people involved, uh, and and then we have to touch the base on it. It's, it's basically impossible not to, and and of course, uh, the last year with management uh, mm. remotely and, and and during the pandemic, has this impacted the, your way of working as as a manager and and, and as a, as a, as a leader? And how do you see? This will change now when people are getting. I got my first vaccine shot here a week and a half ago, and and this will this will change. And and what's your view on this? Yeah, no, it it of course has been a major change during the last year. And but we have to start with with sort of uh, sending. Where I have to start with sending my appreciation to the team that sort of really made made this possible across the globe. That that we 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 were kind of as anyone else was fumbling in the dark in the beginning there and seeing what, what will this change. But fortunately enough for us, we are, we are a digital company at, at heart and core and, and, and we have transformed over the years to be able to, to what, what then wasn't part, it wasn't aimed for this situation, but it, it helped us for sure in this situation by it's been part of my thinking that we, we, if we want to attract the best talent in the company, which of course, need to do and i'm convinced that the ones who have the best talent will will be the one that have the 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 best possibility but but doing that we we also need to allow people to be 
in a little bit different places perhaps than, than traditionally is sort of keeping everyone under one roof is, is providing efficiency in certain ways, but it's not uh, the best for creativity and, and, and sort of uh, getting all the right people on board. So by having that ability to work, we, we, we were set up in, in a, an efficient way that, that uh, sort of helped us in this situation as well. And uh, at the, so when, when we had to sort of uh, take the decision as a sort of a responsible corporate citizens to, to sort of allow people to work from home and, and seeing how that, we didn't see any impact really in the, in the operations of the business. From, from a tech point of view, certain areas where kind of getting access to data centers and stuff when we have to go through third parties now rather than be able to do it ourselves, it, it's a bit of a, a hassle. But uh, in a lot of different ways, we were able to just com continue uh, the way way it was, and that's clearly been been extremely fortunate. And uh, when we've seen releases on our platform, we did over twelve thousand releases on the platform last year, and and we haven't uh, sort of experienced any sort of challenge. But but of course, as you say, building the the culture and keeping the culture for the long term, it's it's a challenge with the with the current situation or the way it's been. So in that sense, I'm really looking forward to when we can go back to some sort of normality. Uh, and I think that will be important for the long term. But uh, so far, so good. Eh? Uh, and and we'll, we'll see when things can start to normalize. No, but I, I, this is interesting because I, I, I've seen the same. Operational, basically the entire IME industry was very fast on moving and, and, and shifting their servers or, or uh, workstations and customer service could work from home, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but but the, the the challenge long term, as you say, is probably the leadership and, and and the culture because the culture, whatever you say, it starts on the top and kind of filters down. And and when you can't meet people, you really can't speak to them in in the way that you used to. This could have an impact over time that that uh, that we can see in, in a year or two. So th this is something I think we all have to work pretty hard with in in getting that back. And of course, mm. meeting again will we'll make it much easier. Uh, and now, to, to I think it's it's one of my favorite topics. So we talk a lot about it at, at least, and 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 we all been involved in, it, and that's responsible gaming. And for me, responsible gaming is a business decision. Uh, it's about building a sustainable business and keep your customers. Uh, and I still want to, to say, you might <laughs> disagree with me here, but we, we were quite early on this one with, with Svenska Spiel, and, and we implemented this as Mr. Green as well. And, but I think looking at this at the large, we, we did a lot of things both at, in this, both, both these companies, but I think you have had one of the broadest approach to responsible gaming when it comes to how you invested in it and how you built it in. But my question here is, is, is this part of your customer strategy or is this part of your CSR strategy? It's a, it's a fundamental pillar in our strategy overall as a, <clears throat> as a company. And, and it's been like that for, for many years. And uh, <clears throat> that's, sorry, I'll just drink a little water. Yeah, please, I do the same. <clears throat> no, but it's, it's been an important part of our, our strategy and thinking and way of working for, for many, many years. And it's at the core of, of what we do. And, and we really, as I said, we, we build on trust and that's uh, not only trust between us as individuals within the company, but also between us and the customers. And, you know, we, we've had a, a, a sort of a, a 
a principle that we want to have a lifelong relationship with our customers taking part of their entertainment budget for life but it should be just that it should be the entertainment budget and it should be for fun and and what people can afford to play for uh, and um, so that's where we sort of come from and and that's how we want it to be and and we we have invested very early and we we for me i've, I've seen this since basically 2010, uh, 11, when we were going for these local licenses in the respective markets and, and we were starting to roll out that strategy. And also when we saw the tightening regulations coming across Europe and now spreading to US and Australia and other places that this is a, a key topic for, for everyone. And, and the one who takes care of the customer in the best way possible will be be kind of the, the one has best opportunity. And we, um, we have embedded that into our our culture and and how we work and and we're actually very pleased that we 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 can say hand on heart that we see a, a business value from from working in in this area and, and focusing on this as, as much as we do and i think that's uh, where it has to start in a sense that you you have that in in the kind of dna of the of the organization to to really focus on this and um, there is a course as you know, 98% of the, the adult population enjoy gambling, but 2% are in the risk zone. And those are 2% that we work very hard to, to try to get to, to have a healthy relationship with, with gambling. And, and it's individuals behind all, all these kind of numbers as well. So that's uh, also very, very important that no one wants to neither work for a company that is creating problems for their fellow citizens or or, or really uh, have have those situations in in your family either in a sense. So it is it's a core of of what we do, and we we really invest a lot in it, and and we we will continue to do so as well. Good, I like it. And no, you you've done a fantastic job there. And and for me, it's also one of the things that makes this industry so so interesting. It's a kind of an intellectual challenge to to balance the selling and the non-selling, and, and and that's why we started to. But we were doing these tools to kind of try to find the people that shouldn't buy the product that much. And at the same time, that we are trying to develop a product that, that people really want to enjoy and, and use and, and stay for a long time. And just this balance is what makes this industry so, so, so challenging. And, and, and you wouldn't find it in construction. You would probably find other challenges there, but not this one. Yeah. And, and, and you also... Uh, launched the, the zero vision and and I like that a lot. It, it, I mean, I love the concept. Uh, it's bold, uh, but it's also a bit risky in in the sense because my, I mean, every the, my first question is, is it theoretical possible to have a, a zero vi uh, vision? Because we know that two percent of the population are predestinated to to, to gamble or overconsume our products, and and is is that and so so what's your view on mm. on this? Yeah, as I said, it's. In, in this kind of, uh, if you put it like 60% of the adult population is, is, is gambling and 98% uh, of those 60% are doing it for, for fun and uh, more of a social aspect and 2% is in the risk zone and uh, but half a percent of the of the 100% is, is sort of a pathological gamblers yeah. and those are the ones that, that should not gamble in the first place. And uh, clearly a lot of the the benefits of the locally regulated systems with the common self-exclusion registers and everything is a big step in the right direction but it's not enough in a sense and uh, for us as i say that there are individuals behind these numbers and uh, 
creating tragedies for <clears throat> for themselves and and their families and just want to make it clear that for us it's it's uh, crystal clear that we don't want to have problem gamblers on our platform that's a starting right. point and uh, we've seen so many misconceptions and myths being spread and numbers being bounced around about uh, how much of the revenues are coming from <clears throat> these these problem gamblers and we um, we've seen on our own numbers that those numbers are are absolutely not correct so but of course, for us, with when we set this vision out already in 2018, we 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 had uh, this close discussion internally and and uh, sort of really uh, defined the situation and and we felt that we clearly cannot come out with anything but the zero vision. I mean, we cannot have an ambition that that we will be satisfied if if not everyone is is taken care of, and that's why we have had this vision about zero you know, percent of of revenues coming from harmful gambling in 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 2023 and uh, of course we will do whatever we can to to get as close as possible to that target but it it needs cooperation as well as you know from both uh, regulators other operators authorities and politicians as well on on how we can approach this common problem or, or the joint problem that we all have within in the the sector but i'm very convinced that we can get uh, very close to it ourselves or we can get close to it ourselves but the more cooperation and the better the system allows for channelization and everything the easier it will be for for us but also then for everyone else within the in the industry as well to to get closer to that number because with today's technology and, and data processing power and artificial intelligence and if we can use technology for good we're, we are convinced that we are very much part of the solution and not the problem here. And it's by having a sustainable regulation that, that creates that, uh, that opportunity for everyone. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I, once again, I, I love the ambition of, of a zero vision. It's so, it's so, it's so, it's a statement and, and it's a strong statement. And unfortunately I hear there are some, I've spoken to some people about this and, and they say, yeah, but it's impossible because you, if you have to do it, you have to do false positives and, and so forth. And I kind of, uh, Yes, you have to. Uh, otherwise, it will never work. And and better to tell someone that actually is green. That sorry, we thought you were red, and my my, my bad. Sorry, but you are green. It, it, and and I, I I assume that you have when we built these both at Svenska Spel and Mr. Green, false positives was part of the equation. And I, I assume you have the same. That that can't be an <clears throat> argument not to do it. That should rather be an argument to do it because these players will feel that. Okay, wow, they take care of me. They thought I was, but I wasn't. Some will, of course, mm. be a bit pissed, but some will actually take this as a, as a protective measurement. Or, or what's your what's your view on that? No, it, it, clearly we 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 work hard and uh, and and we have developed our systems uh, in a very good way, and uh, and that uh, is clearly where it starts. But we're also have to be humble and, and and say that we will never be hundred percent, and we we have to work with that as an ambition to get as close as possible but as you say the systems that we have built and now with the the, the upgraded version of the player safety or the detection system that we have now 2.0 which is built on on behavioral science uh, metrics and and data points uh, converting those into data points and then looking into our our customer data and, and trying to identify and flag up potential customers as you say and of course sometimes it might be that the customer is is, is a sort of a false positive as you say but uh, but that's just part of it and that's why we have experts that overseeing these data flows and these flagging up of, of customers and and they make a sort of a, 
an, an active contact with the customer and then it's uh, their expertise and their judgments who can tell what how we can sort of guide this customer in the best way possible because for us it's not about identifying sort of and, and closing off uh, if that's needed of course we will do that but it's more about can we make this customer have a healthier relationship to gambling and, and gamble within control and moving that customer from a high risk into a medium or a, a low risk customer that that is the 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 the, the core of, of, of what we try to do here so um but it's a it is a complex situation but uh, we feel that we like you did as well we we have to do our best to to try to get as close as possible good and and I, I I still even though I'm not on an operator side anymore I'm still thinking a lot about this one and and I'm coming down to affordability checks uh, th in theory if 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 I only could spend what I I can afford then I then this problem would have been gone so to speak if if I can afford to spend one thousand euros a month and I spend nine hundred then it's not the problem but if I go above that then 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 it is it's when the problem starts so. Do you think we will have te te technical solutions for this going forward? Will we find it? I mean, Sweden, it's an open society. We have bank ID. We have uh, direct transfer, uh, direct access to the to the tax authorities and numbers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Wouldn't it be possible to do pretty decent affordability checks? And and by that kind of already from the start, seeing that this person is probably gambling for more than he could afford or she could afford. It, will that mm -hmm. will that be going forward? Yeah, as you say, in countries where that is possible, you you have a better sort of 360 view of the customer, and 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 that is uh, sort of a big part of it. Uh, but as you know, also in in most countries, the same data is not readily available, and that that's where the sort of challenges start. But I think it's it's worth looking at it and starting from the point of view of the customer. And as you say, it's it's a very individual. It has to be individual based and, and yes. going more or less customer by customer because no customer is, is the other alike in a sense. And it's about as exactly as you say, what can a certain customer afford to play uh, for? And that varies uh, across. And uh, that's why these blanket levels that we see sometimes being talked about and some companies uh, implementing, they are completely blunt in, in the case because those levels, you can rest assured, is, is going to be way too much for for quite a few people and it's going to be way too little for others and you just run the risk then in a sense of pushing customers to the to the black market and uh, that's unfortunately in a sense with these deposit limits that we've seen in Sweden as well that uh, that's exactly what's happening there that rather than having customers within one uh, operator and, and being able to see the the customer in a better way if their limit is put on 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 5000 swedish per week then uh, and if it's a 100 uh, operators licensed you can gamble away 500000 anyway every week without being breach of the system yeah. and then the different operators can't see the system across and that's again why the corporation comes in as well so affordability and, 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 is, uh, and the role of the regulator so and the role of the regulator yeah. i mean if you have affordability check that has to be on the center level so i i i, I can afford two thousand euros a month or whatever but then i can't i can't afford it with 10 operators as you're saying i can afford it that's my mm. total gambling so you're absolutely right there uh, and and will this happen is 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 the are they regulated? You speak to them more than I do these days. Are, are they adaptive to this? Are they re responsive? 
Yeah, they are. And I think the affordability levels are important, but it has also to be on kind of net deposits in a sense, rather than just, uh, we are very similar to banks, as you know, these days with, with, with the regulations and the financial systems that we operate. So we're very close and the regulation has been drifting in the direction of, of financial institutions, which which I think is good because it's it's good for the for the customer in the end of the day. But it's it's also about kind of what uh, what is technically possible as well. And, yeah. and as you say, some of these measures doesn't seem to be based on facts and, and uh, without looking at the consequences. Because when we started talking about our, our road to zero and publishing these numbers, when, when there was an interview with one of the Gambler Anonymous organizations here in Sweden, and they said that even though Spiel Paus is there, there is 70% of their contacts they're getting is uh, is registered already on SpielPaus, which is the common self-exclusion register. So it's clear that that is one important tool, but it's not the only one. And by having these deposit limits set, then it's, uh, it, it pushes customers onto so many different operators, which makes it virtually impossible for everyone to keep control of the, 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 the customers that really need that control. So I think it's important part of it, the affordability checks, but it's uh, it's just one one element and again it has to be individually based yeah absolutely i, I agree and, and back to, to the to the swedish topic with the with the uh, uh, the deposit limits and and deposit is probably the, the worst you can use because it's not how much money i have my, in my wallet when i go into the restaurant it's much it's it's how much i spent in that restaurant that is the problem and it's the same with, with gambling it's not it's not how much i deposit because i deposit and withdraw deposit and withdraw it's it's about how much mm. i lose and and that should be the limit and and we have that data. So I mean, I think we agree on this one. <laughs> that yeah. But it's one important thing here, Jesper, as well worth mentioning is, is about the kind of the whole value chain of of the uh, of the, the the financial ecosystem that the customers and and we live in as well. I mean, it's a uh, it's uh, we have a closed loop in, in within our customers so that the customer deposits with uh, one account and it, the money goes back into the same and and that uh, provides a high security. But how did the customer get the money in the first place? When you look at uh, sort of uh, mobile loans or or blanco loans and things like that, this is a bigger topic to that in a sense than than just gambling. We we of course have our responsibility to do, but it's also from a politician's point of view to look at if if a, a vulnerable customer have been playing for too much money, where did they get the money from in the first place? And that's where it's also important to to highlight yeah. the other parts of that. Uh, exactly, because they play for more than they can afford, which means that they have borrowed it, they stolen it, they whatever, they they done something to get that money. So you are right. We have to look at the, the, the broader perspective. And this is not only gambling. Uh, this is probably heading into gaming as well. We, we see that the microtransaction market this year is estimated to be 100 billion US dollars. And there's a, there are no checks whatsoever. We heard a, the, a, an interview with, with Pierre here, who, who you could easily burn like... 80, 90,000 uh, euros on, on microtransactions playing these uh, games on, on, your, your, on your phone. So I think mm. iGaming will be kind of a role model, hopefully, going forward for also for other industries. And we will see more and more of these getting re regulated because mm. it's as easy to lose your money there as it is in, in our industry. And, 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 and also, just to close this one, I think it's a bit unfair when we, not unfair, but we have this industry has never done more. Uh, than we have today. We, I think we, we should remember that. There's a lot of things to do. Not everyone is as uh, in the forefront as you are. But at the same time, the industry 
this this topic has never been so discussed and so implemented into strategies. So I, I think we have. I hope you agree with me. I think we have a. a it's looking good in the future, at least. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. We're making huge progress. Yeah, good. And to something totally different and and a very hot topic uh, these days, and and that is blockchain and cryptocurrencies. So more on the philosophical level, this is. Uh, I had a debate over the weekend with some friends, and they're clearly two two paths. One is saying this is totally ridiculous. This will never work. This is, is uh, humbug, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the other uh, group or or part was kind of no, but what this? What's the difference between this and 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 your 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 money you have your own account? It's still digital. It's you you don't have that value reserved somewhere. And and basically, it's if people believe in it, yeah, then it will exist. So, what's mm. your view on this and iGaming? Will we see more and more? I mean, blockchain is one thing that that mm. probably could be used in in paid, uh, uh, protection and so forth. But more cryptocurrency. What, what, what's your view on this coming to the industry? Yeah, no, and, and I'm again first to admit that I'm not an expert in in the field, but uh, we we've clearly followed the developments and have been doing for many many years. We we sort of looked at, at this quite closely and, and seeing it. But as I said, also when it comes to, there's the certain benefits for sure uh, about it. And, and also, as you say, more with the rounded technology and how that can be used and, and elements of, of crypto in, in uh, sort of our payment solutions structure as well. But the, there is also, of course, all the, the AML and, and the, uh, those kind of topics as well that is featuring high on the agenda. So when regulations has been increasing throughout the last couple of years, that's putting further and further pressure on, on, the, on the industry as well to, to make sure that, uh, like you say, with affordability and AML and, and all those topics that, that uh, where, what is the source of funds and where does the money come from and, and those kind of things. And, and that's uh, still making it easier in the kind of the fiat currencies to sort of look at things in, in that way rather than crypto. But I think it's also one of those things as you know, with the AR sort of, a, we, we had sort of virtual reality, the VR and AR was also sort of talked about a lot in, and that would be implemented into our games about three, four years ago as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, the crypto was also high on the agenda then. And I think these things will, take shape and it will be part of the experience but uh, we're still not completely there i would say to to do that but of course we're following developments very closely uh, good. i good i i agree this is this is still early uh, uh, blockchain technology th that that will be used in in, in different ways and uh, i i i i think at least and and cryptocurrency we have casinos doing cryptocurrencies they're doing very well it's it's it works they, yeah they live in a very volatile world etc cetera, etc cetera. so for more of a a uh, uh, long-term strategy it might be wise to, to 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 wait a bit but still yeah virtual reality yeah when when the when the hardware looks like my glasses now then i think it will break through heavily and it might be the same with with crypto when when enough people believes in it and start to use it we have to use it as well in 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 the industry but but it's an interesting topic and i think your advice is very very clever here. we should follow this carefully and, and closely uh, good uh, another trend that i see and i talk a lot about uh, is consolidation the bigger get bigger and the smaller get smaller is is this something that we will continue to see uh, or is this just a hype right now when when stock prices are quite high and 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 the transactions are quite easy to do 
Consolidation has been around in our sector since inception as well. It is sort of where we we have done about one transaction per year for the last 15 years, and so we played our part in in that uh, as well. And uh, of course, the the additions that we've got from from the consolidation has been really important for us to get uh, new people on board and and new businesses and widen our footprint and and, and new technologies, etc. Uh, but but fundamentally for us, it's been having a, a strong organic growth that's been the sort of the core mm-hmm. the sort of fundament that, that we build on. And then we can add strategic acquisitions on top of that. It's been uh, really complementing the strong organic growth. So, but at the same time, of course, we, we've seen and we, we, we notice what, what, uh, what's happening around us as well. And we see that uh, size is important and scale is important. And we see that some of the bigger ones are sort of getting together and, and creating even bigger companies. And I think that's uh, natural in a sense that you say that you get that benefit from from scale yeah. uh, now we are kind of number four operator globally and, and we we believe that we have the the scale that we need to to have a successful sort of independent future as well but uh, but of course we're also looking at uh, at the sort of potential acquisitions and and deal flow as well and uh, as you say consolidation will will continue but at the same time i think it's fair to say that there's there's going to be new companies coming up as well that that you feel like uh, this is too late to start anything new, but uh, there is a lot of ambitious people out there, and if they can come up with a new angle, it, they can break through all the all the way up as well. So, I think that's the the beauty of the kind of the sector as well that that you if you do things right and you have your angle on it, and then uh, you can sort of be successful anyway. But uh, of course, scale will be important, also to have the 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 ability to invest in in these other important areas. Uh, cool. I, I agree. Uh, 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 I mean, this is a business where, where scale really matters. And, and we're coming from oligopoles, uh, state-owned monopolies, where, where the pool size was was kind of the success of, of, of those companies. So it's, it's kind of in the history of the, of the industry. But you, at the same time, you're very, very right. We have some uh, disruptor being born right now that we don't really know about, or perhaps we know about them, but mm. we haven't seen them yet. Because when an industry is peaking uh, and i'm not saying it's peaking but it's 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 reached a very very high level from from just the last 10 15 years that's normally when when the 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 this the 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 disruptors are entering the market so i i'm looking i'm i'm having my eyes open here for them they, it will happen most likely mm. Uh, but you can also see that the, even though we, as you say, there is a consolidation within the industry, it's, it's a relatively small part of all gambling that's taking place online today anyway. So that's also clearly a big growth driver for the sector that the conversion is still in its infancy in a sense from offline to online, albeit that it's been ongoing for 20 years now. No, no, you're, you're right. We have an under, I, I normally say, and this is just me man guessing but i say that we have an underlying growth of seven to eight to ten percent just of, yeah. of converting from 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 bricks and mortar to 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 online and on that note yeah. you're entering us where we have the big brick and mortars r- realizing this now and and starting to transform and acquiring companies to get get online so 
yes, the, we, 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 I soon gonna leave you. If I know that you have other meetings to attend to, but but this the, it it would be interesting to listen about a, a bit about your US strategy. Uh, what advantages do you have as one of the pioneers in in iGaming when you enter a, a virgin market like the US? No, as you say, we we've been looking at the US for for a long time. We we actually. Basically, since inception, we always choose not to take U.S. business, which was a very sound decision uh, back then. And and when the UEGA kicked in in 2006, we didn't feel anything from that because we were unaffected. But others were were losing yeah. quite a lot at the time. So I think that that was the first step. And then in 2012-13, we looked at the New Jersey that was opening up for for casino uh, online. And we looked at that very carefully and closely, and, and uh, we still decided that it was too early for us at that time, and we wanted to see more about sports and, and what that would happen. But the PASPA was, of course, still in place. And when that got repealed in 2018, we had already taken a decision in, in 2017 that we would go into the U.S. because we felt that it was getting to that time. But we have probably approached the U.S. in a bit different way to, to most uh, of our competitors in a sense that we... We've clearly seen these uh, kind of big uh, pan-US partnerships being formed and announced, and, and, and that's not really in our DNA and, and, and way of working. And uh, we've chosen a more of a controlled expansion strategy for the US by being trying to be selective, similar to what we have done in, in Europe and other places, and we're trying to do a careful analysis of the different states or countries in, in on global level and seeing where where would we have a good opportunity for profitable growth and and uh, be able to to add value for our customers and uh, that's how we looked across the states in the US as well then back in 1718 and and we saw that uh, even if it's going to be a bit more cumbersome for us to to get market access in in the different states it will give us a better opportunity to to have a a clear and independent strategy and, and more optimal execution. And uh, and that's the basis that we have progressed on. And uh, and we have now the team on the ground has done a fantastic job. It's a team built up by seconded people from Europe, but also mm -hmm. local expertise added to, to those uh, European experts. So we bring our, our 20 plus years of experience from Europe to the US and, and adding, complementing that with the local expertise of, of uh, at the team in, on, on the ground and, and the team has secured now access to up to 12 states which cover more than a third of the US population and it's still before some of the bigger states are, are sort of um, clear what's going to happen there as well. So I think we have a very good position but of course it is a competitive market as you say both the bricks and mortars but also the, the usual suspects from, from Europe is of course there as well. Uh, but at the same time, we, we look at this as a, more of a marathon and a long-term uh, sort of challenge and taking step by step and, uh, and um, looking at the, the long-term customer experience is, is what we believe will, will differentiate us from, from most in the market. So it's about now it's about building the brand, but also investing in tandem with the brand and not, not uh, investing too, too early. Uh, and so we're basically applying the... Uh, the experience and and the knowledge that we have from Europe, and we see that it uh, that it works as well in in the US. With other words, a classic Henrik slash Kindred approach, uh, a strong strategy, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> impressive execution, a marathon, and you do it a bit stealth under the radar. 
Uh, it, it worked before, and, and I hope I think it will work now. But but once again, the the competition there will of course be fierce. We see how uh, Fanduel and some of the others basically are advertising, spending more money on advertising than they have in turnover, and and of course that that is that's <laughs> a tough competition. Uh, we we we're gonna yeah. call this one, and and but once again, you're following your strategy, and th that has been successful uh, in the past. Yeah, and that's what we have done in the likes, as you say, with UK, Australia, and those markets as well. That we we entered the UK in 2012, and it's it's now that we're sort of uh, really starting to see important traction being made for us there. So as you say, it's, it's we view it in in that kind of perspective that it's not going to be one in one or two quarters we're basically only a year and a half into the u.s venture and it's a enormous potential and we we are confident that that we we have what it takes to to get there but of course we need to put the the, the, the building blocks in in place as well to 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 get there and and that's what we're doing right now but that, but that's one of your signals. That's that's kind of the long term approach and and you you can now you also you you can afford to have that approach being with the size and 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 the position you have, I, I assume it's it's easy to be long term when you are the number four in the world, and if you are number four hundred and thirty three, then then you become quite yeah. Now we have such a good portfolio, Marcus, and as you say, that's what's helped us a lot. Uh, but but of course, if you look at like Svenska Spel being a dominant force in in the local market, they are bigger than us in 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 certain ways for sure. But but we have that portfolio market, so also being global. So by the European sort of footprint that we have, complemented by Australia and US, now we have a we have a broad uh, broad portfolio to to utilize. So we can reallocate money from from different markets into the focus markets of the moment where we're growing, and and that helps us a lot. Yeah, you can imagine the frustration uh, some uh, <laughs> PLCOs has had sitting on that position, having the international plan in the drawer and not be able to use it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. Okay, we're going to round up here. This has been a fantastic talk. Just uh, uh, on a philosophical level, iGaming in five years. How will this differ from today and how will you, uh, Kindred differ from today? Five years. Five years is a long time in our industry that's changing so fast as it is. But I, I would, the sort of the, the cautious prediction would be that uh, we will see more of the same in a sense. I think we're still, as you say, with the migration from uh, conversion from offline to online will continue and it will be even more. And we will be able to offer a customer an even better and, and safer experience in, in five years' time. And, what is today with sustainability will only increase. It will be over, only more important to take care of the customer in, in a better and better way. And and also the, uh, the, the hopefully will be, be in an even further progressed position when it comes to the cooperation between all stakeholders in society that, that is, is relevant, both governments and the politicians, the regulators, the operators and, and the customers, media and sports and everyone. We all have a common uh, interest to create a good ecosystem where it's sort of a, a, a beneficial system that, that create, have staying power and uh, have an improved channelization over time rather than uh, with a with a sort of a deficient system that that has a reducing channelization which is bad for everyone in the system so hopefully we've been able to get even further on that and uh, and that we've uh, sort of achieved our our vision of uh, zero percent of revenues coming from harmful gambling by then and uh, hopefully that also goes across operators in the market as well so that we are truly able to take care of the customer in in the best way possible so 
Good, that's a good answer. I got the same question uh, eight, nine years ago, and mm -hmm. I was a bit more. Uh, <laughs> I was a bit more sure about my answer. I said, oh, "Well, it's gonna be Svenska Spear, Unibet, Expect, and Ladbrokes, and then there's no room for any more casinos on the Swedish market." <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, it's, uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell. No, no, that's good, uh, Henrik. It's been a a, a true pleasure having this discussion with you and uh, thanks a lot and, and good luck. Thank you very much, Jesper. It's been a pleasure having you or being part of it. Good. See you. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. Bye.